0: Season 2, Episode 9 of the Ten O Podcast, the podcast designed for any athlete who knows they have more to give in this life to maximize their full potential. I'm your host, Danielle Gray, gymnast, fitness model, and founder of Train Like a Gymnast. Happy Thanksgiving! Hopefully you're able to listen to this while traveling to be with friends or family this holiday week. On today's episode, I speak with an incredible woman and fellow USC Trojan alumna. Victoria Garrick is a mental health and body image advocate. She played volleyball at SC, is the host of the podcast Real Pod, founded the nonprofit The Hidden Opponent, which is also the title of her TED Talk, and is now advocating for mental health awareness in college athletes across the US. Whew, that is the longest intro I've ever given for a podcast guest. That is incredible. She's wonderful. You're gonna love today's episode. I hope you enjoy this conversation we had about mental health struggles, advice to overcome them our own personal experiences, finding fulfillment and aligning our blueprints. If you don't know what a blueprint is, go back and listen to season two, episode three. But before we jump in, I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Train Like a Gymnast's newest freebie. If you've ever wanted to train like a gymnast, I'm giving you a sneak peek into our VIP membership program by giving you 20 of my favorite gymnastics drills that you can do at home. These are the types of exercises our VIP members get in their training programs. Get in shape by doing exercises that lead towards something. These are my all-time favorite exercises that I did to get my competition body back and the ones that I still do to this day for maintenance. Give them a try. They're free. If you want to learn more about what our VIP membership offers, there will be a link for you to see if you qualify on the drills page. So just go to trainlikeagymnast.com drills. That's trainlikeagymnast.com slash drills to get your 20 of my favorite gymnastics drills that you can do at home. All right. So today we have Victoria Garrick, who is a fellow Trojan, and she also also has her own very similar mission to train like a gymnast. So Victoria, I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself if people aren't familiar with who you are.
1: Um, my name is Victoria, and I graduated from USC in May. I played volleyball there for four years, um, and now I have been advocating for mental health in student-athletes specifically, and as well as trying to destigmatize body image issues that I think so many of us experience.
0: Right. What was kind of like the tipping point, I guess, for you, like what made you decide to go this direction? Was there a specific moment in your life or experience you had that was like, I want to do this?
1: I never sat to myself and thought and planned out like, this is what I want to be doing. Um, It just sort of happened naturally. I saw, I felt a lack of support and a lack of a, a community when i was struggling with my depression and with my binge eating disorder and all of that stuff and so um when i realized that i could talk about it and i could be someone that people could look to to feel less alone um that's something i wanted to do and i didn't think i would be able to do this like full time um but literally my when i graduate when i finished volleyball so after the fall and the spring um that's when my NCAA contract was up. So I didn't have to abide by those rules. And I had someone reach out and say, hi, I've seen your TED talk. Would you come speak at our school? And I had never thought about that before. I mean, I hadn't stepped on a stage and given a, t- a speech or a presentation for two years. And I was like, I guess I can do that. And here I am.
0: <laughs> oh, incredible. So, all right. So it kind of started from someone reaching out and then you're like, okay, well, I can actually make a career and a living off of this kind of thing, like inspiring others. So I guess, you know, when when you were going through your whole struggle, did you have teammates who were going through that struggle? Like a lot of athletes kind of feel that. So how how did you know that you weren't alone or did you not know that you weren't alone?
1: In the beginning, I was definitely afraid of speaking up because I was a freshman. I actually did have a starting spot on the 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 court and I didn't want to be someone that was a burden or was a weak link or couldn't handle it so I didn't say anything as I sort of got more comfortable in my own skin and my place on the team um, I had like private conversations with players about it and um, started to realize that I was not the only one at all and in fact most people had experienced something similar at one point or another and the conversation around mental health over my four years on the team really evolved and by my senior year I mean there's no stigma there's no judgment I mean it's almost like we are expecting you to experience something
0: right what was your biggest mental obstacle or that other struggle that really like you just kept you thought you were working on it or you get over and then it like reappear what was that thing throughout your athletic career that like kept following you
1: Um, there were a lot of things that I felt like I struggled with and I had to constantly work on, but I would say the thing that persisted the most throughout the four years was probably that inner critic and that inner voice inside my head, which obviously stems from performance anxiety and just having to deal with those thoughts and those words of maybe you're not good enough, maybe you're gonna mess up, maybe this is gonna happen, and just worst case scenario. And I even dealt with that my senior year. And that's when I'm advocating for this stuff and I'm talking about confidence. And, um, you know, I pride myself on always being really real. And I know that that's a buzzword and it's overused, but I'm never going to be someone that says I have it all figured out. I still second guess myself every day when I wake up. And if it's something I work on, And that for me, that inner critic, that inner voice was, was probably that most challenging obstacle. And I think it led to the the anxiety and the anxiety led to depression. So it's all connected to me.
0: So, okay. So you still deal with it and you're still working on it. So what steps have you taken to try to like overcome it? You know, like you say, you're never going to have it figured out, but let's say someone is like three steps behind you. How can they follow your path that you've already worked on to get further ahead?
1: Being aware of our inner dialogue and the things we tell ourselves is huge. And even just that simple level of awareness is something that I definitely lacked in the beginning. Most people who are struggling, uh, you know, aren't really aware of how often they're saying mean things, doubtful things, how persistent the voice is and how they're believing that voice So becoming aware of that voice was huge for me. And then sort of with a therapist, with a mentor, dissecting what is false, what is true, what has weight, what doesn't. Um, Even if the voice says, I'm going to get eaten by a dinosaur today. like Actually, that's not a good example, because if I got eaten by a dinosaur, that would be terrible. But if if, let's say the voice says, I'm going to get benched. What is the, what's the worst that happens to me? I'm still gonna have a family that loves me. I'm still gonna get married one day. I'm still gonna like have a job one day. Like, and so just really talking that through um, and spending the time there was helpful for me. Uh, But in general, you know, it takes a lot of work. And I think the most important thing I did was seek help from others, seek help from a psychologist, seek help from um, a, my mentor, Um, yeah. And is this familiar to you? Like, did you also experience sort of an inner critic? Oh, honey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I think, I mean, I don't, I've never played volleyball because sports that include other objects besides my body are like really foreign to me. Like I don't, I, I just cannot, like I can stand underneath the basketball hoop and, and not make it. Um, volley, I don't know, just any ball sport is not like a good thing. So with gymnastics in particular, it's, it's so based on perfection, right? Yeah. So I feel like that's a common thread for all gymnasts. And especially after we leave the sport too, because you're expected, like, why would you do something if it's not going to be your best? So then that analysis by like a process by analysis, that kind of perfectionistic personality is like almost like a curse for the rest of your life unless you can get a hold on it um and so that's something that i have i feel like really made strides in um recently too because i i would just not do something or put something out because it wasn't good enough which i feel like is not just gymnastics that's all athletes too Um,
1: all athletes in general i was just talking about this with um, a psychologist who I was interviewing uh, for my podcast and she was saying how we, especially as athletes have tied so much to achievement. I mean, let's talk about a gymnast, every single routine, you're getting a score and that score is good or bad. And so you go into your regular life and you're looking for that number or that validation or that comment that is giving you your rating. Mm -hmm. And that's just how, from, I mean, how, how early did you start playing, uh,
0: Playing um, yeah playing doing yeah so I started, started doing
1: gymnastics
0: <laughs> it's like different for every sport um yeah. I started when I was four but I started competing when I was 11
1: okay but so when you're four years old you are learning this metric and it's just really hard for us when we leave sport like you mentioned before to yeah. not have that meter telling us it was really good or it was bad and comparing us to one another and uh, did I win did I do the best and it's really hard to tap out of that athlete mindset and just be okay with the process.
0: Right. Yeah. So also like going off of that, I've had calls with a bunch of girls who, who agree, or they all kind of talk about this thing where it's like, when you're an athlete, you have a coach telling you what to do. You're the athlete, you execute. Your teammates are around you. So that's your accountability too. Then when you leave that sport, you do not have somebody telling you what to do, unless you know, you, you make your boss or something like your coach but when it comes to health and fitness if there's nobody telling you what to do you're on your own and athletes are so conditioned to executing based on instructions and one girl actually said that sports did not teach her independence or time management and I was like that's really interesting like I've never heard that before she's like yeah because Everything was so done for me. I know I had practice at this time, this time. I had homework to do at this time. Like, everything was kind of planned around. Like, she did. I would
1: argue that she would have had to organize everything outside of that. Her social life, her school, her job, whatever that. Like, yeah, one component of your life is organized. But doesn't that force you to organize the other things?
0: Yeah. I mean, it could have been that she was younger, too. So, maybe her parents did it. And, like, like, you have this and this. Versus you know, being in college or something, but I just thought that was really interesting because I'd never heard it before, like, because everything is so, like, I saw your TED Talk and your your schedule, right? Everything is just, like, mm-hmm. and that almost is done for you because you have your classes, you have your practice, you know what this time is, This time. like, you didn't actively choose, I'm going to hang out with my friends during this time, I'm going to do that. It forces you to work. Right.
1: But there's a component of independence in having to suit up and be, good in those situations like to wake up and be there at seven to go that is independence I mean no one's waking you up in the morning um and and walking you there and then showing up and performing so I guess I can see I can see both ways however I have never heard an athlete say they didn't learn time management from their sport so (laughs) curious who this who this chick is
0: (laughs) My mind was blown. Yeah. Um, so that was a tangent, but that was, that was just something I thought was interesting. So getting back to kind of like your mission and what you do when you speak at colleges and conferences and stuff, like what is the number one thing you want your audience to walk away with?
1: There are probably two main points that I want the audience to feel and to walk away with. And I'd say that the first point is um, you are not alone. You are not less of a player. You are not less of an athlete for experiencing a mental health issue. Um, That's the first point I want them to know is that having a mental health struggle does not make you less of a player or less of a competitor. And then the second point I want them to walk away with is that getting help and asking people to help you is also okay. And I try to help them understand that when it comes to sport, they want the best coach. They want to become the best. And it's totally okay to seek help for our physical needs. So why? Why is it not okay to seek help for our mental needs? Why am I just supposed to be good mentally? Why am I at 18 supposed to be an expert mentally? But it's okay for me to 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 believe I have growth and ways to go with my physical talent. So those are the two points I hope they walk away with. And at the end of the day, most of these people I speak to are college athletes. So in general, I think they're badass human beings to even be wherever they are competing at a college level. And so when if I I feel like if I can encourage those two points, they have everything they need to 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 get those things um done.
0: Right. So, okay. They know they're, they're not alone. How, how can they know they're not alone? Is it just because they're hearing you or is there something that they can do on their team or with their peers to help them know they're not alone?
1: I feel like in sharing my story and explaining sort of where I was in my college career and the prestigious university I played for and that like at that level um, at at a number one in the NCAA tournament seed people can feel this way and aka myself I hope that that lets them know they're not alone and then additionally I also mentioned the statistics, which is 25% of people. So that's 25% of the people on your team. If you have four coaches, that's someone on your coaching staff. And so I I hope to hit home on those points. And then additionally, um, I love calling on some of the icons like Kevin Love and Serena Williams and DeMar DeRozan and Gracie Gold and all of those athletes, Michael Phelps, that talk about mental health and have exceeded um On a global level, and have also talked about therapy and mental health and and using all those examples, I hope that they say, Hey it's really not just me here that's struggling it's a lot of people and it and that wouldn't makes it okay for me to feel like I can experience this
0: yeah, hundred percent so if they ask for help now because you know there should be you should not feel shame for asking for help and when you're an athlete, you have help naturally. So why, why is that now? Like when you're on your own, you're independent. Why is that a bad thing? Right. So outside, let's say your coaches don't understand, or you don't feel like you can go to your coaches. Um, or, you know, your, how do you find a mentor or a psychologist or someone who's like a third party to ask for help?
1: Most schools will have a counseling center or a psychology department within athletics. And that is something that has been highlighted and emphasized and stressed in many of the schools I visited. And I believe that it's definitely a movement across all of the NCAA schools, which is great to see. So I'm hoping that the students are aware that they have those resources, but I know that I was not aware um, as a freshman. I had to be told that by someone else. Um, so I, I'd hope that now things have changed. I believe that as freshmen, they're getting um, this information presented to them. But additionally, I really believe that there's always someone in your life or someone within your circle or extended circle that does wanna help you and we we've seen that in middle school in elementary school there's always like that one teacher that really cares about you or the one pe teacher or there's a student that's nice to everyone whatever it is i just do believe there is always someone that wants to help you i mean as long as you're a good person and um you know you're not cruel or evil i believe there's always someone that wants to help you and so just believing in that and then trying to find that person is is so worth it and if someone's listening to this who's struggling like you are so worth trying to find that person and that's the hard thing is it's not going to present itself to you people can't see that you are depressed they can't see that you're hurting inside so um it's not likely that someone will put their hand on your shoulder and say hey you look like you're struggling how can i help you unlike a visible injury you're going to have to go find it and that is hard and that you fear rejection you fear what they're going to think but when you do find that person, when you find someone who can help you or point you in the direction of help, your whole life can change.
0: That's incredibly true. And both of us here, like we wanna help you. So I love how you said that, you know, it's not like a visible injury. And that's so true because we, we've seen it and you know, like this is what depression looks like, quote unquote, you know, and and it's happy people. It's people who were smiling or posted like they were hanging out with their friends the night before they committed suicide you know that that type of thing mm-hmm. and i know you shared that in your ted talk so if you guys haven't heard or seen her ted talk please go to youtube and listen to it <laughs> it's great um you posted like things on instagram that you know that were like totally a dichotomy right it, you were happy here and then you walked home by yourself or that kind of thing mm-hmm. i have definitely experienced and and i i think a lot of our audiences have experienced it as well so First step, if you're feeling overwhelmed, depressed, or unsatisfied with how you're living your life, or if you're like, is this it, or is this what it has to be, Uh, what is your, I guess, first step? Is that first step seeking help, or is there something smaller they can do? Maybe journaling, or some kind of personal development work that they can do?
1: I would say the first thing, and... I, I, will share a story too. I, I learned this recently as well, but, um, I would say the first thing would be to have some self-compassion with yourself about what you're going through. And that can be really hard. I even had like a rough week a few weeks ago. I was just kind of sad every day and, and not feeling like my best self. And I was really frustrated and I woke up with no compassion, but with judgment, like why am I not happy? I have this, I have this, like I know this, I should be. And I was upset and then that makes me feel like I'm I'm, I'm against my natural emotions and I'm disliking my body and my internal emotions. So um, it only makes it worse. And then I was talking to my mentor who's Nicole Davis um, and she said that it's okay to be sad. And I just sat there and thought, that's so true. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to feel shitty. And, you know, the next day I woke up and I was not in a great mood and I just said, you know what? I'm sad. Things have been, this and this has happened. This makes sense. I'm going to be compassionate with myself as I experience these emotions. And then I'm going to have a clear, loving head and thought as I make my next move. So if someone is feeling really down in the dumps it is okay to feel that way. Like those are universal emotions, anxiety, depression, are universal emotions that we all experience, not something you're experiencing singular that no one else knows what it's like. Um, So the first step I think is that self-compassion. And that's something that I think is maybe a veteran step, not a step that I would have took took two years ago. You know, it's something I had to learn. Um, But that's just something that I, I heard that I loved and really wanted to share.
0: Yeah. And something that you mentioned that kind of like stuck out to me was, you know, that inner critic talk of the, I should, this and that. Whenever I hear someone say I should, and I don't know if you've done this kind of work or you know what like blueprint, blueprints are.
1: I've heard people say eliminate should from your vocabulary. (laughs) Is that where this is going? (laughs) Kind
0: of, but it's just a kind of like a trigger word. So if you hear anybody say like, I should be here or why am I not that kind of language, That means like you've set in the past a blueprint for where you should be at this point in time. And if your current life is not matching that blueprint, that's when you are unfulfilled and unsatisfied. But sometimes that blueprint that you have made for yourself, you made when you were 16 or when you were 20 or something. And it's not that it's wrong, it's just outdated. And you're the architect of that blueprint. So you have the ability to go into that draft and Update it. Mm-hmm. Once your blueprint and your life are in sync, that's when you truly feel aligned and fulfilled.
1: I love that, and I would definitely agree because we set these expectations for our life and what we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to be with and what we're, our family life's supposed to be like in our sports career. And so when it's not there, um, and that goes back to this achievement, right? It's like if I achieve, I'm going to be happy. And so when you haven't achieved what you thought you were going to achieve you're unhappy even though you have a million amazing things in this blueprint that you can't identify because you're so focused on the one or two things i live in that that other one right it's it's very true um the expectation setting is is super hard and i feel bad because it's hard to avoid you know when you have your sat's and you have to think ahead and where do i want to go to college when you're a sophomore in high school and you know you it's like you almost don't have a choice in the society we live in now so i think it's staying grounded and being aware, you know, another thing too is I hope that some of these young kids are maybe like, oh, do I have a blueprint? And is that you know because they're we're not aware of what's making us feel a certain way,
0: right? Absolutely. So, r- like starting to kind of wrap up and put this put a bow on this conversation. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And it could be from a coach or a teammate or just anyone in general that that's really stuck with you.
1: The best advice I've ever been given. I have have one that jumps to my mind it's probably it's like great 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 advice for sport. so I'll choose that one however I do think my parents have given me great advice on just like life in general but I think what's more on theme for this podcast once again my mentor Nicole Davis she's a genius um two-time Olympian medalist she basically so I I was a sophomore And I was a starter, but there was like a first string position and like a second string position. And I wanted to be the libero and I was the defensive specialist for people who know volleyball terms and um, our libero got injured. And so I was now going to move up and start against UCLA um, for the first time ever. And I was so excited. Like, this is everything I've like dreamed of happening. Um, not her getting injured. I was so sad, but just the position. No, like I literally love her. I, when she went down, I was like, Oh my God, no. And I'm just like looking at her. And then my coach was like, go put on your Jersey. And I was like, Oh, right. Oh my God. Um, but so when that happened, uh, then I snapped into like, I'm about to do this thing. And so then the next game, uh, I texted Nicole and I was just, I think I said like any advice or any wise words. And she texted me and responded and said, you are going to make mistakes tonight. And I read that and I was like, what? Like, I just asked you for advice. Like, where's my pump up of like, you're going to kill it. You're so good. And it said, you are going to make mistakes tonight. And then of course she followed it up with, by saying, if you can accept that, right now before the game starts and no, it's not going to be perfect because you're a human being um, when that mistake or mistakes come it will roll off you faster so I just thought that was brilliant and I totally agree I mean we're all going to make mistakes no one in there I don't think anyone's had uh, at least volleyball, the sport of volleyball, like a perfect game. It's very hard to have. Um, you can't control a lot. So I just was like, that is so true. I'm going to make a mistake, whether I like it, get, get aced once or my set goes whatever, is too tight, too off the net. Um, rather than being like, oh, I made a mistake, like it's supposed to be perfect. I was just like, oh, there it is. and I, And I moved on. And so I think just getting that advice was huge for me. And I hope that people know, especially as athletes, like when someone – people athletes tell me if you agree think they're supposed to expect the best like if I even let in my mind a thought of a mistake like I am planning to lose it's like no you're not okay you're just being a human being that's just real that's reality I think when you have this pressure of like oh I'm going to be perfect I'm not even imagining what's going to happen if I lose you have you're adding more weight to yourself you say hey if I lose I'm going to do A, B, and C and if I win I'm going to do A, B, and C you go into the game and you trust your instincts so long story short that was uh, one of the best sports advice I've ever received.
0: I totally, I totally love that and agree with that and I feel like that's what I want to kind of title this episode because it's so true not just for a game but for literally life in general. Like you'll yeah. life and that's, it kind of goes along the lines of um, mastering the art of anticipation mm-hmm. which is like if you've ever played a, a video game against like a little kid who like beats you all the time is not that they're like the smartest human being in the world or they're better than you. They have just mastered anticipation because they've done it over and over and they know this guy's gonna pop out here. This is gonna happen over here. So they have a plan. Mm -hmm. You 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 realize okay there's the mistake. Now I move on and that's how you keep going. Versus letting any little mistake or bad thing happen like blow up your world. That's how you take two steps forward and, like, four back if you do it that way. You just want to incrementally keep going because you're just aware and noticing. I love that. Definitely. Um, Last question that I ask everybody who is a gymnast and who is not, what what do you think it means to train
1: like a gymnast? When I think of a gymnast, I think of loads of fun. I mean, every gymnast I've seen I just think is – bubbly and energetic and bouncing around and also a badass. I mean, like, I've never seen a gymnast, like, complete a great routine that people weren't, like, smiling as they watch, you know, like, the, especially when they stick the landing. I mean, I love – I don't know anything about gymnastics, but I love watching it um, at the Olympics and also at college level. And so I guess when I think about train like a gymnast, I just – Think about training with an enthusiasm and a positive energy that's contagious. I wonder if that's. I feel like, have you ever gotten an answer like that?
0: <laughs> I don't think so. I've gotten all of the like, it's like hard work and dedication and it's all about like being your best, but I've not heard the. Fu- but yeah, I
1: mean, I, then you guys, yeah, I mean, obviously it is those things, but something about gymnastics, they're just so you know, like Allie Raisman, Simone Biles, Caitlin Ohashi, like, they're just so energetic and smiley, and it's just contagious. I, I, that's why I love, that's why we love watching it. Yeah. Um, Because it is serious, but they also have to have a good time for the whole package to be presented well. Because trust me, when you're not having fun anymore, it's definitely not fun, but (laughs) if you can
0: it's awesome and also like we're a little stunted um so like we're also still children that's kind of what oh,
1: yeah, how tall? you look so tall how people think I'm tall, five 5'4
0: which is tall for gymnastics but yeah
1: oh my gosh yeah I don't know you're just your face but also I on your on your page you look so much taller that's so that's so wild
0: that's funny nothing yeah nothing wrong
1: with that my my best friend's 5'2 <laughs>
0: that's amazing yeah compact that's what we are well I have enjoyed this this has been awesome. So. If you want to follow, lurk, watch all the things about Victoria, um, where can people find you?
1: They can find me on Instagram. My handle is Victoria Garrick. And they can also find me on YouTube, uh, which is Victoria. I don't even know. Does YouTube even have usernames? I just Google my name and hopefully you'll find the account. And then I also have a podcast called Real Pod.
0: Yes. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. This has been Thank
1: you, wonderful. Danielle. This was so great. I love talking with you and I can tell you're so passionate and it's inspiring.
0: Yeah, you are as well. That's why I was like, we gotta get her on the podcast.
1: You're so sweet. Thanks. Perfect.
0: Thank you. Real quick interruption. I'm hosting my first ever train like a gymnast retreat in Hawaii in February. I'm so excited about this retreat. Not only is it going to be a nice change of pace and be a fun chance to tumble around the island and snap some awesome photos with our professional photographer, here's the deal. This retreat, it's going to change lives. If you're a formerly competitive athlete, parent of an athlete, aerialist, or gymnastics fan dreaming about changing your life starting with your mindset first, I swear when you get that piece, it changes the whole game for you. Your physical abilities will follow. I want you to walk away from the experience having such incredible breakthroughs and clarity that you can't wait to start executing once you get home. You'll miss your new family for sure, but you won't lose touch because by the end of this retreat, you'll be operating at your full potential. To learn more, just head to trainlikeagymnast.com retreat or go visit the link in the show notes for more information. If you've loved everything you've heard in this episode or have any takeaways, be sure to leave a review. And as a thank you, I'd like to send you our athlete success kit. I've included everything in this guide that helps me stay successful and productive personally and professionally. If you want your copy, just leave us a review and send us a screenshot to team at and we'll shoot it right over to you. Until next time, train with purpose.